Welcome to the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I'm Deborah Herlax Enos, a small town girl turned TV nutritionist and healthy living expert. I design health programs for the average guy or gal, including those average guys named Metallica. On September 1st, 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I asked every oncologist the same question, why did I get cancer? But none of my doctors had good answers for me. I wanted answers and that's why I started this podcast. I wanna help you to lower your cancer risk and provide self-care tips for those in the battle. I'm getting answers and I wanna share them with you. Today's takeaway with Dr. Henry Cloud was really personal for me. He's been my mentor for 25 years. I've never even met him, but his information really spoke to me when I was young and single and really struggling with boundaries, always picking the wrong guy. So I asked Dr. Cloud on my podcast, can a lack of boundaries or being codependent or people pleaser contribute to cancer risk or chronic illness in general? And he said, absolutely it can because it's such a stress. He also went on to say that you don't just flip a switch one day and all of a sudden you're not codependent anymore or all of a sudden you have these great boundaries. He said to really change, it takes new energy from the outside and that we also need to develop more wisdom and gather more information and truly it's like a muscle and it needs to be developed. You've got to listen to the rest of this podcast as Dr. Cloud keeps bringing truth bomb after truth bomb about how we can have more positive relationships and how that can go on to really change our health levels. So give today's podcast a listen. I'm sure you will be blessed by this information. So I'll just jump in and say, uh, I have been waiting for this interview for weeks. This is Dr. Henry Cloud, best-selling author since what, 1992. You've been on the, <laughs> off and on the New York. I was four, actually, when I started writing. You were four? Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> 20 million books. Yeah. You walk the talk, and uh, I have been a, I've been a fan for a long time. And um, really, I'm excited to have you on the show. And welcome to Why Did I Get Cancer? So guess what we're going to talk about? Well, it's good to be with you. I was, um, we were talking, the audio said no, this, we were talking a little bit earlier about how this growth path, you know, once you get into it, you're, it's a whole different direction in, in life. And, and, you know, we might enter in because of a relationship or because of a depression or, you know, something like that. But, but once you begin to realize that all aspects of life, you know, including health, flow from um, our, our internal world and how, how we're made up and where that takes us on the outside world, it starts to be a whole different way of living. A whole different way of living um, with more joy, but also with greater health. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're all glued together in incredible, incredible ways. The, the, the mind and the body and the heart and the soul and, mm-hmm. And all of that, um, you, you cannot separate them. And they're bi-directional. You know, our, our body affects our thinking and our moods and, and our performance. And our emotional life certainly affects our body. You know, if I go like, ah, if I, you know, make a loud noise and scare everybody. <laughs> you know, that's a, that I didn't touch you, but your body has changed. You know, your heart rate went up, you had a little adrenaline rush and, and, 
hopefully in life, you know, you have a moment like that where something happens and your your autonomic nervous system, you know, everything spikes up, but then you realize you're okay and it calms back down. And all those hormones are released to activate you to fight off danger. But for some people, their lives are a perpetual state Mm -hmm. of that. And the stress that's going on, you know, relationally or from a depression or anxiety or whatever, that pump is always, you know, churning. And it is literally breaking down the body starts with the immune system and all this, you know, cardiovascular systems and all of that. We are, it, it are, you can't disintegrate Mm -hmm. the body and the heart, mind and soul. And so that leads me to a question of what kind of impact stress has on our body. The chronic stress, you know, maybe we're taking care of an elderly parent, but what if our stress is something that we've kind of chosen, meaning I used to be a, a terrible people pleaser. I was really good at it. I guess it wasn't terrible. It was a terrible reaction to my body. I was great at people pleasing. <laughs> Wonderful. That's not good. That's not good for my health. So being codependent, which was also something I battled, what kind of an impact could that have on my body at a cellular level? Well, a, a direct one is the short answer. Um, but I want to go back to something that you said. Um, you said, you you know, it's kind of choosing some of this, choosing to not have boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a very complicated word um, because a lot of people, um, you know, sometimes when people are stuck in like a, a an abusive relationship or a really dysfunctional relationship, you know, some people might not have empathy for them because, well, you know, why do you choose to stay in that? Or why do you choose to put up with that? This, that, and the other. And certainly there is a, I mean, you are staying in it versus choosing to get out. Right. But, but what we don't realize mm-hmm. is that we talk about choice and the will as if it's this pure faculty, like a switch that we could flip or flip off, you know, however we want and that's not actually the way it works. Um, our, certainly we make choices, but those choices come out of, of wiring this lifelong patterning. And so when we're formed mm-hmm. in how we have relationships, we're kind of wired to do it in a certain way. I mean, it's, it, I've got a Doberman who, you know, and this, it might happen on this, this discussion. If the mailman comes, she's going to bark. Well, is yeah, she's choosing to bark. And with some work, I can get her to stop doing that, right? But that's her that's her instinct, it's her pattern. And so a lot of people are stuck in patterns that literally and this is the wrong word also, that they can't not do, but they can't it's automatic and to choose differently. They don't yet have the equipment and the internal ability and power to do that. And then this day Mm -hmm. comes, we call it a lot of different words. They have an awakening (laughs) or some, somebody Mm -hmm. that loves them comes in and does an intervention says you can't continue to live like this. Right. And so the lights go on 
but the lights going on don't automatically mean, okay, well, great. I'm going to walk away today. I'm going to say no to this person. So they go in the next conversation and they go to say no. And it goes, mm, sure. <laughs> the no word won't come out because they have conflicts. And, so. and so what you just described is really an important um, realization that we live our lives, but it's not until we get above how we're living and observe what we're doing, that then we can make a choice, not necessarily do everything right, but we can make a choice to enter into the process that makes us strong. And so it's the, it's the choice to end a pattern by saying, I'm going to go see a therapist, or I'm going to get in a group, or I'm going to start studying this stuff, or I'm going to get some supportive people around me, there, or I'm going to work through the trauma that keeps me repeating the trauma and all of that. So it it is a choice, but our chooser is broken also. And part of growth is, you know, I always tell people, you got a broken people picker. <laughs> and it's going to continue to pick bad people until you fix your people picker. So it's uh, it's complicated, but it's simple in some other ways. It is complicated. And... And I think back to when I started reading your books, Boundaries, and um, Necessary Endings came out maybe, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And it still took me probably 25 years. And really, the impetus for me to change was cancer, breast cancer. And so it it seems like, I mean, I, of course, you know, I, I agree that... It, you know, it's not as simple as waking up one day and saying, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm no longer going to please people. I'm going to only please God. It doesn't usually happen like that. It's a process, correct? I don't know anything, anything good or bad that is instantaneously gets to fruition. You know, a cancer has to have time to grow, right? So does health. And when you're talking about about boundaries, it's not just a switch that you flip, it is a muscle mm -hmm. that's developed. And so if you want to get to where you're strong and thriving and different chemicals are flowing in your body, that those muscles have got to be developed. And so it's not instantaneous. Now, I wouldn't, and, and here's something that I would really warn people about if you ever hear this, sometimes you'll hear, well, you know, I've been this way for 40 years, and so it's going to take me a long time to, you know, to get better. And they'll almost do a math. Well, it's going to take me 40 years because I've been this way for, well, no, not at all. For, there's two things that are wrong with that. One is it probably didn't take you 40 years to become a people pleaser. For some people, it happens in an instant. They could be molested at age four. And the structure of their personality gets fragmented and broken and their sense of power and choosing and, mm -hmm. and have, being able to say no and all of that, that gets annihilated in a moment. And every day after that, they're trying to avoid being hurt or whatever and people pleasing mm -hmm. in order to survive. And so they do that for a long time. But just in the way that you know, if you have a car wreck, that happens in a moment, right? But it, and if the frame is is bent, 
it can stay that way for years. But once you take it to the to the mechanic, it's not going to take 40 years. To, just because you've been driving it rattling for 40 mm-hmm. years, it's not going to take 40 years to undo it. But it is going to take some time. And it's going to take some very specific, um, you know, we change because of two factors. New energy <laughs> that gets put into us from the outside and intelligence that or you know wisdom mm-hmm. or know-how or information that orders that energy that's the way you reverse it. entropy in physics thing you know in a closed system everything is winding down it's getting sicker it's deteriorating until we open up the system to new energy and new intelligence so that's why i say it always takes some opening oneself up to outside support and intelligence to help you get out of it. There's, there's really, you're not going to pull yourself up mm-hmm. by your bootstraps, but you are going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps with somebody standing there helping you learn, <laughs> learn how to do that. And that's how simply the process of change happens. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like also staying isolated can really keep you stuck. Death. Death. Yeah. I mean, literally, soul death, mental death, physical death. I mean, Everybody's read about it by now, but um, Harvard did a 75-year study, biggest one that's ever been done, on all aspects of life success. Now, when I say success, what I mean is people that thrive. You know, it doesn't always mean, you know, they're billionaires or something. But success really is about having a fruitful life. It means our clinical life. I divide life up into a pie of three parts. We have a clinical life, which is... Am I well or am I sick? Am I anxious or depressed? Do I have energy or am I burned out and tired? And kind of how we're doing mentally and physically clinical, what you'd go see a doctor for, you know. So am I thriving and am I well? The second piece of the pie is our relationships. And then the third piece of the pie is our performance. And all of that, all of that is glued together. And when you begin to to work on it, you're working on all of it, right? Mm-hmm. And and you see, you know, all of it begin to change. There, the, there was a point I was making in there when I went off on the pie. <laughs> you remember what I was saying? You were talking about that Harvard, the Harvard study. Oh, oh yeah. thank, thank you, thank sure. you. So, so they did this 75-year study about all areas of life, people's thriving, including health, all right? 75 years, they followed gazillions of people from this age. The number one factor was the quality of their closest relationships. Because when you think about it, that's where we're getting fueled either with good stuff or no stuff, and we're in isolation, and the system is deteriorating because of isolation or we're getting bad stuff put into mm-hmm. us. And so isolation, they, they say that, um, that in the latest research that, that I've read that loneliness for your health, loneliness is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. But then when you think about it, look at it this way, an infant, do you have kids? 27 and 29, yeah. Remember when your babies were born and, you know, they 
pop out and they instantly turned to you and said, oh, mom, was that hard on you? Is there anything I can do to help? That's not what they did, right? (laughs) What they did was they looked up and they went like that. They're in existential crisis because now they're isolated. They're separated. They got snipped. Their source of life. And now they're alone in the universe. Okay, so what happens? You pick them up, and over 10,000 gazillion moments of stress, crying, hunger, wet, cold, you pick them up, you relieve that stress through a connection. And that happens over and over and over. And they're internalizing that love, which becomes self-regulatory systems in the brain and the body. And so they walk around healthy. You take another infant who's maybe born in an institution and their physical needs are taken care of. They're fed and watered, but they're not loved. Mm -hmm. They're not bonded with, and they have attachment disorders. Well, here's what happens, you know, back to the body and the health. Their brain sizes are smaller. Their body weight is less. Their immune system functioning is way less because they're alone emotionally. They have people around. Their intelligence is way different. And they get to be 10 or 12 years old, start having behavior problems. We take brain scans and there's literal physical wiring that did not take place because of the absence of love. Because we're immaterial beings, we're spiritual beings embodied by our physical bodies and all of that's wired together. So when somebody's isolated, and I don't mean a forest ranger living in a tree, mm-hmm. you can be isolated in a marriage. You can be isolated in a family. You can be isolated in you're the one on the team at work that you just don't feel like you belong. That is destructive on the body. Why? Because it's always going, you know, it's a you're, We have anxiety, we have the depression of aloneness and all of that. And the the physiology of an isolated heart is a cesspool at the cellular level. And it's just scientific fact. I mean, there is no, babies can die when they're fed and watered, but not loved. It's called marasmus or failure to thrive syndrome. Same thing happens throughout life. So... Like you said, you could be a 60-year-old man in a marriage and not have that connection with your wife and have a failure to thrive at that point, which is going to impact your immune system, causing chronic disease or even even cancer, possibly. And the first thing, and back to this is sort of the, the resolution as well as the incredible hope, is... Let's say you're in a marriage where it's a disconnected marriage. Well, you're trying to connect, but you're trying to connect in old patterns that really are are guided by the dysfunction of this person you're with as well, the people pleasing and codependency and all that. And this I can't say this strongly enough. The only the only time in life that a person's well-being is dependent on one other person is in infancy. We are not made to have all of our needs met by one person. 
we're not made for a dyad. We're made for, we move to a triad, you have two parents, and then from there to the larger group. And so what happens in, you know, in a marriage like that, if that person has, you know, is the other one hadn't woken up yet and they're isolated with that person, when they move from a dyadic infantile state that if this person doesn't meet my needs, I'm not going to be able to live. And then they reach out and they do join like a codependency group or go see a therapist or get, then you can reverse all of that without your spouse, you know, turning into, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Connection. (laughs) But then something else happens. Then you also get empowered and you start to grow. And then you start to be, you, you start to be different in that relationship which many times forces that person for the first time to have to change because you're not enabling these patterns anymore. And many times people do uh, turn a marriage around because one person changes. If one person changes, the relationship changes. Now, sometimes that other person is not going to get with the program and then you know, they go away or there's a necessary ending or something, but, but it's not hopeless. And we don't know if something's hopeless or not until we begin to be healthy ourselves. And then you find out can health be contagious in this relationship or not. And so, but again, it's back to this question of you can't remain isolated and figure this out on your own because because humans do not derive life from themselves. We get life from outside of ourselves. And every piece of science that's ever, ever, ever been done on this will tell you that, that, that isolation is the root of everything. You know, I come from a faith perspective, and, um, and I believe that we were created by a God who is love and he made us to thrive on loving and being loved. And then if you look at the story of original sin, what was it? It was the unplugging from the relationship and saying, I'm going to do it on my own. And that's when everything went south. And so life is like that. We weren't made to, you know, my Doberman, um, when I was shopping around and, and, and I called and <clears throat> the, um, the, uh, the person that, you know, had the letter said, um, yeah, you, you can come get her. She's like seven weeks or something like that. And I knew the science and I said, I'll come get her at 10. And he said, well, you can come get her now. I said, nope, I want her with her mama and get the stuff fully downloaded before I rip her away. They're, they're not ready yet. They're not ready. They're not ready. But now we got another problem, talking about boundaries. Now we keep them in mama's lap till they're 40. They're still on the couch playing video games. And they need to get their butt kicked out of the house. We cannot have boundaries on either end. Right? They do. They do. Yeah, it's that old f- failure to launch. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about boundaries. Your your work on boundaries has been life-changing for millions of people. And um, 
but I think a lot of people just go through life without him. And uh, I can, my personal experience is that once I started hearing your work, I went to a couple of your workshops in the Bay Area and I tried to do boundaries, but my boundaries were a little porous. <laughs> they, they weren't strong boundaries, but it was a start. I had to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. I remember um, some, I, I used to do a lot of inpatient work. And, and so we'd have groups in, in the hospital unit. And <laughs> I remember a couple of things I would do. One was we would get, we, the group would go support a patient. And um, maybe the first assignment was, okay, we want you to drive through McDonald's. And when they say, would you like a hot apple pie with that? Say no. Because they, they just couldn't say no to anybody, right? And they would get sold whatever anybody's trying to sell. So that may be the first <laughs> the first step you take. That's great. And then they're going to get where they can say no to a controlling, abusive, gaslighting narcissist. I want to tell you about one of my favorite things to drink. It's bone broth. And I have to tell you, I'm relatively new to the whole bone broth game. But one of the reasons I started drinking bone broth is when I had cancer, I had a really hard time keeping food down, getting enough protein. And quite honestly, I had so much inflammation going on in my body. I was really looking for something that was nutritious. Again, I could really get a lot of protein out of and would be really soothing to my gut. So I jumped headlong into bone broth. And one of the things I love about bone broth is that there's so much gelatin and collagen in it. Studies show that gelatin is beneficial to restoring strength to the gut lining, and it can help to fight food sensitivities. And then bonus, it helps to grow probiotics in your gut, the probiotic bacteria, which is what we really want, which helps to really boost immune system. So I have to tell you about my favorite bone broth, which is from ButcherBox. What I love about it is it's got three ingredients, organic chicken, organic carrots, and filtered water. That is it. I love it so much. I drink it in the afternoon to kind of give me an energetic boost. I drink it in the morning. I drink it on cold days. Honestly, it's just one of my favorite products. Okay, so when I was telling ButcherBox about how much I love their chicken bone broth, they gave an amazing deal to my listeners. It's actually a deal that they've never even created before. And here's their deal. Chicken bone broth for free for an entire year. It's crazy. They've actually, as I said, they've never done a deal like this before. And then bonus, you get $20 off your first box. So go to the link in my show notes, click the link, use the code ENOS. You'll get $20 off your first box and free bone broth for an entire year. But it does take time. As you said, we don't just wake up one day and say, okay, I'm going to say no to, as you said, a controlling, abusive narcissist. It takes time. It's a process. No, that's right. It's a process. And also what people have to understand is there are internal dynamics and dangers that are driving that, that are bigger than the boundary problem. Mm. Meaning some people, if they were to say no and, and suffer rejection or abandonment, which is their fear, if they say no, that they're going to get abandoned or rejected, then they're going to fall into 
a disconnected, isolated, abandoned heart, which is worse than what I'm putting up with. You know, a bad relationship is better than no relationship at all for a lot of people. And they can't risk that abandonment. The abandonment fears, the aloneness and all of that is just too great. And so that's why you can't just treat this as a simple choice. You've got to build a whole person. And it doesn't take 40 years. I've seen enormous changes happen in a short amount of time. Hmm. Which leads me to a question because my process was really long. Wish it hadn't been, but you know what? You're ready to change when you're ready. And I wasn't ready, apparently. So how well, do you... you can not be ready and you can also... There's, there's, you know, there's a number of factors here. You can not be ready. You can also not have the right resources around you to mm-hmm. help you and empower you to do that. And you can also have other factors that interfere with the getting ready. It's hard to build an airplane while you're flying it, right? And so you're negotiating so many complexities of life while you're trying to do this and really not because if you if you do this over here, then you got 16 other problems that that causes. You know, you see, see this a lot of times in, in really, really, really abusive, you know, scenarios where somebody can't fully get clear from that because they got four kids to take care of in the mix. Right. Or they've got, you know, and it's, it's complicated. It's really complicated. We should never blame the victim. But at the same time, there are scenarios that do take longer than they should. Mm -hmm. And I'm always surprised on both ends. I'm I'm always surprised on some of the gains that I see that are so fast. Hmm. And I'm always surprised at some of the diligently working people that takes longer. But it's going to take longer. If we're not doing it, that's for, sure. that's for sure. Right, right. Or if we're if we're doing it and we're not surrounded by people who are supporting the new you. Yeah, it's death. So it's just not going to work. Yeah, it is death. Yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah. How do you stay healthy during that process? And you know, I again, I think about the you know the years it took me to get healthy in my relationships, and I think, wow, did. Did that 20 years of me being, you know, involved in some bad relationships and codependent, could that have contributed to me getting cancer? Well, um, you know, what the science tells us is that everything from the immune system to, you know, the amount of stress and the amount of isolation and all of that um, is certainly a factor in our health, you know. You also have genetic loadings that go into this. And so it's it's very, very complicated. And you have all sorts of environmental factors as well. You know, what people are, I mean, people get cancer from living too close to mm-hmm. power lines. You know, so it's so, but when you say can, can stress right. contribute to a breakdown in health, we know that's true. And so um, it's just... There's no, there's no, um, it'd kind of be like saying, um, what's the safe amount of smoking? Well, 
nobody knows, but why would you want to find out? <laughs> you know, and so it, it's like, hmm. is my stress level or is my dysfunctional abusive relationship contributing to my health problems? Yeah. Um, we know it does. So wouldn't you want to fix that anyway? And so, I mean, nobody really knows um, all the multifactorial things that go into, into these illnesses, but we do know that stress and loneliness and, you know, psychological patterns and thinking and feeling in certain states, we know that that attacks the systems that keep us healthy or make us sick. So it's hard to draw a straight line. I would never try to do that, but I do know that we want to be healthy regardless. What would you say? I mean, you, you went through it. Yeah, I um, I would I would say that there were things that I was I was doing that could contribute to cancer. I would say I, I struggled with forgiveness, and I'd mentioned being codependent, and you know, I was always the giver in the relationship, and and. Uh, you know, you can really get resentful, and that's got to go somewhere. Well, you you do get resentful when you are giving. Um, there's a, a Bible verse that I love about giving. Here's what it says. Give as you have purposed in your heart. In other words, you're doing this on purpose for good reasons. Give as you purposed in your heart, not begrudgingly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so let's break this down. When we are giving because we want to help someone, we have empathy for them, um, we love them, you know, you give to your kids because you want them to grow, and you're choosing to do that, or you go help a friend, or you take a parent in, or whatever. Yes, I want to do this, right? That actually makes you healthier. We know from all sorts of research that the healthiest people are givers. We know this. The self-centered life that never gives to somebody, their body is breaking down just as much as the codependent. But that's the when we choose to give. In fact, when you choose to give in a non-conflictual way that's based on love and empathy, we hook your brain up. The same pleasure centers light up in the brain that light up when you're having good sex and good food. Your brain doesn't know the difference. Wow. It doesn't. Now, if you can find a way to have a nice pizza and write a check to a charity, while you're having sex, we may never find you again. You've gone into into pleasure oblivion, right? (laughs) That's your next book, right? (laughs) Yeah. Giving is not a bad thing. It gives mm-hmm. you health. We know that. We know that. But giving not purposefully, giving because you feel overpowered or you fear you're going to get rejected or you're going to see, that's when it's a begrudging gift. We're giving, but we're giving in and we're holding resentment. Mm-hmm. And so the actual giving is making us sick because we're coerced, manipulated, and controlled into giving because this other person's too powerful in some way, either with guilt messages or anger or whatever causes us to say yes when we should be saying no because we don't want to do that, begrudgingly or under compulsion. 
a lot of people are giving when the other person will be fine for them saying no, but they feel bad. Right. They feel guilty or whatever it is they feel. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to my wife who's who's um, traveling to visit our daughter in college. And and so she's there for a few days and and they were hanging out, went to lunch and they're hanging out. And then then our daughter, Lucy, says, um, uh, Mom, Mom, I know. I mean, we. You know, I want to see you, but my friends have, there's this event tonight, and she wanted to go with her friends, even though mom's flown into town. And, and, and so I goes, sure, go with your friends. I'll see you tomorrow. And, and she's like, oh, but I feel bad, you know. And and Tori was fine with it, but mm-hmm. sometimes we have shoulds. Well, I should really do this because I'm selfish if I don't. And you generally the people that are afraid of being selfish are the least selfish people in the world. The selfish people mm-hmm. never even think about it. So true. But there's shoulds in your head of how you're wired. And that's what I mean when I say we got to change this. So I don't want giving to get a bad name. I mm-hmm. want purposeless giving. You know, giving for bad reasons like manipulation or control or all that. I, I'll never forget um, when Olivia, our oldest daughter, was, we have two, and when she was in about, I mean, she was probably four years old, maybe, and, and was going off to her, her, her preschool, and we're having breakfast, and, and so I'm, you know, this is the problem if you're the kid of a psychologist, right? You get all these life lessons <laughs> all the time. My kids are oh, sure. <laughs> And I said, Libby, because we've been, we've been talking about giving, you know, and, and teaching giving. And I said, okay, so here's what I want you. I want you today at school, I want you to just give something to somebody that you want, you would like to do. Okay? Just share something or give something. She goes, okay. So she goes off school and she comes back. She's four years old. And I said, so how'd it go? Did you give anybody anything? And she goes, well, yeah, we, we, were, we were at snack time, and, and, and there was this girl, you know, mom sent me with, you know, my snacks, and, and there was this girl who, who didn't have any. And she goes, and so I took one of my cookies, and I gave it to her. Is that what you mean? I said, Libby, that's exactly what I mean. And then she does this. She, she looks at me and she says, Daddy, what is it? I said, what's what? She said, what is it in here? And she pointed to her little chest. I said, what do you mean, Libby? And she says, when I gave her the cookie, it felt, can't get the words out. She said, it felt really warm inside. What is that? And I'm like trying to lose it. Well, that was your that was your biochemical system, chicken. <laughs> I was trying to think of it. But I I looked at her and I said, um, I said, Libby, that was love. That's what giving feels like. Now, in that moment, giving was purposeful and it was based on empathy and care and positive emotions were getting created by biochemical physiological processes. And she pointed to her body. Life was flowing through that kid, right? Wow, at four. Think what she had been feeling, would have been feeling if a bully had come over. 
So give me your cookie. Well, no, I'm going to, you know, very different chemistry in her body. So giving isn't the problem. It's why we're giving. Do we feel overpowered, pressured, manipulated, afraid of we're going to get abused if we don't, or some internal guilt or shoulds in our head? That's, that's the growth out of codependency. It's learning not to not be a giver. God forbid that anybody would live on the earth and only think about themselves. It's the worst life possible. But to be a giver is giving on purpose. And that's where boundaries are really, really important. Look at it this way. Whatever you give to is going to grow. We invest, you give to your bank account, and if you leave it there, it grows, right? Investment is meant to grow things. If you're giving to, to a control freak, you're watering the control. It's just going to grow. If you give in to abuse, the abuse just grows. And people, here's the paradox, people become people pleasers so they won't be abandoned. And they're the very people that get abandoned the most because they're attracted to self-centered, abandoning people. And, and if you don't do everything mm-hmm. they want, then they leave you or move on to the next one or abandon you emotionally. Mm-hmm. And the paradox is, is the people that good, with good boundaries they get abandoned the least for 18,000 reasons. One of them is they pick different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. But the other is that people, people only love and stick to people in a good way that have interpersonal power. Not power over other people, mm-hmm. but the power to say, this is what I'm going to say yes to, and this is what I'm going to say no to, and you can't make me do differently. Make sure you come back in two weeks to listen to part two with Dr. Cloud as we talk about loneliness and how living in isolation can really impact our health. He also talks about loneliness is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you soon. Thank you for joining me today on the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I've got my shopping guide for all of my cancer self-care items in the show notes, along with information about today's guest and our show sponsors. And don't forget to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. Keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a gal that got diagnosed with cancer and wanted answers. If you need medical advice, please be sure to consult with a medical professional. And thank you for listening.